Hello. I am so happy to have my friend and fellow life coach Gigi Muth on the podcast today. So Gigi has been in my life for quite a while. In fact, I cannot remember what the year was. I should have looked it up before I got on here. But we met at a American Foundation for Suicide Prevention event, which was a training on how to hold the space for a group of people who are kind of trying to work through a suicide loss. And so both of us were there and we just had a kind of an instant connection. And for a couple of years, we were together quite a bit. And I learned a lot about her. And I'm just so happy to have her on the podcast today to see how far she's come from when I first met her. She's just made so many amazing changes in her life. And I'm just so happy to know her. This interview is not about the death of her daughter by suicide, but she did write a book. And I believe part of that story is in there. So I will link her book in the show notes. Also, as far as a personal update, I will be doing a podcast episode pretty soon to talk about some of the changes that I'm going through in my life right now. And by the way, I feel like my life is always changing. And I'm always telling you about changes. <laughs> and I've just come to know that this is just how my life goes. So it's okay. At first, I used to think, Oh, my gosh, I told them this was going to happen. And then that didn't really happen that way. And now it's something different. And you know what? Let me tell you, it keeps life interesting. So I am going to be filming, filming, yes, well, maybe I will be filming a video too, but I will be doing an episode to come out very soon about the changes that are happening in my life and my business for those of you who are life coaches, because I know I have a big audience of life coaches out there, um, just to kind of my journey through the coaching world and where I've come to now and all these interesting things that are happening. So stay tuned for that. But for now, I want to welcome you to my conversation with Gigi. Welcome to Beautifully Bloomed, the podcast where we explore how to break you out of the box of rules and beliefs that are holding you back from the life you are meant to live. I'm your host, Rebecca Turvo. Join me as I share mindset tools, coaching conversations, and human design to help you uncover your unique gifts and create the life, relationships, and business you desire. So welcome, Gigi, to my podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm super excited also. Yay. So we have quite a history <laughs> together. So I thought it would be really fun to talk about how did we first meet? Do you, you remember where we first met? Yes, uh, we met um, basically at an AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention training in Chicago, Illinois. I want to say that was probably like in April of 2018. I, I remember it was in, in around that time and um, it was it, it was in the springtime and everything. And that's where we met. And I was just in such awe of you because not only with the loss of your son and how well you were coping with it all, but you know, you had written your book and it was already out. You were doing a speaking at different places. And so I even uh, traveled down to St. Louis to see you speak. And it was really an exciting experience. Yes. So Gigi and I, we met at, so one thing, we have a lot of things in common, I think, right? So first of all, we both lost children to suicide, which is a very sad thing, but it actually creates an immediate bond with people, you know, when your parents who've lost a child, because it's not something many people, thank goodness, 
experience, right? So we had that bond. And then you wanted to be a life coach, right? And so we had that going for us. Yes. Because I, I also was, I was coaching at the time, but I was going to go for training. Then you invited me to go to a training that you had signed up for with you. So I went and stayed with you for the weekend. Like, I feel like we became like friends, right? It was like, oh, let's try all the stuff. And then you became a client. And then I don't, I don't remember all the things we did. Like we, I felt like for a while we were like in each other's business, like all the time <laughs> traveling together. <laughs> right. Yeah. We traveled Definitely. together. Oh my gosh. We did a lot. So, so, but now we're both coaches, authors, and we both feel passionate about mental health and suicide prevention awareness and all of that stuff. So then you said you finally wrote your book. And so I thought, ooh, we have to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> so, so this is all the things that we're going to talk about today. And we'll try to um, get to all of them. But first, I want to say, um, Gigi was a client of mine. And first of all, I think it was in the grief space, right? But then after that, even when I switched to human design, then you're like, oh, I want to learn about human design. So I'm, I'm curious what you've learned about yourself as a projector, like, I mean, how have you learned about it or like, what have you been? So I don't know what you've been doing lately, right? Because I haven't seen you for a while, but what has it affected your life in any way or? So I was, I'm one of those people. And I think you've even talked about it on the podcast before that somehow projectors, we are not, we do not jump up and down when we find out we're projectors. It's, it's common. I remember you even said when I found out, cause I was not happy. I mean, I wanted to be a manifesting generator. I wanted energy. And so when you told me I'm lacking energy, I was like, no. And I think that also goes with my perfectionist mindset is I to be a perfectionist, I need the energy. Not that I want to always be a perfectionist, but so anyway, when I found that out, as much as it gives me the okay, that that explains why I sometimes I'm tired. It was sort of disappointing for me. So I think I spent the first year, even after I did some things with you, like in this, um, arguing with what is, you know, what every coach should never do, but we do anyway, because we're humans and like, no, and also trying to really, so the projector part, I sort of let that go and was not happy with it. So it was sort of like kept it out of my mind, but I really did try to embrace more my personality, which is the four or six and really try to understand what that is and how I can serve people with that in coaching in my life. So that is where I think I put more of my efforts. I didn't understand the projector part as much, and I haven't really met that many projectors so I'm always looking for them and I yeah. keep running into manifesting, uh, manifesting, <laughs> manifesting generators <laughs> and generators, but not projectors. Yes. Well, and projectors make up 20% of the population. So you are more likely to run into the 70% that are the generator types, right? So I'm just curious about your four or six then. What, how have you embraced the four or six? Like, what does it mean to you that you're a four or six? Well, I think the four is more, you know, the type that um, if I understand it correctly, it's from the four is where I, I always get this confused. This is the four or the six that I, that, that I it's had to go through. It's the community connection. Yes. The community and the connection. Oh, so that's right. The four is the one that I've, I've, it's been a little bit more difficult, but it made the six made so much sense to me. It was like, oh, that's why I've been through all these things. Because I actually now in this third phase can sort of share this and enlighten others. 
And even in my book, I even mentioned something about like, I hope that my mistakes can be somebody else's guide. And that's what I've really tried to embrace. The part about the community and the connection and being that role model and whatever, that one and the networking, I remember you kept saying networker and I'm like, that doesn't seem like me, but I've been really trying to see how others see me. And the more I've done some um, retreats and other things, I've started to understand that a little bit more on how that networking works and what that really means. Yeah. And I mean, for the four, because I'm also a four in a different way, right? I'm a one, four, you're a four, six. They're in a little bit different positions, but still like we as fours like to be in small community with people that we trust, that we love, that we feel connection with. It just really feeds our energy, right? To be, it's not like we're the kind that love to just be on stage with a bunch of people that we don't know. (laughs) Like it, it doesn't feel good. It feels way better to know people, right. That are in the audience and know people that or people know that there's people supporting you and that feel connected to you and that love you and accept you for who you are. And that helps us as fours. Does that make sense for you? Yeah. Yes. And I also think when, even in business that really, I think that where I'm going to do the best with my life coach and coaching business is through word of mouth, you know, somebody basically, um, doing that. And I think that that's very common also with projectors because we have to await to be asked. And so if I help someone, that person, it's going to be that ripple effect. So I'm probably not the one that's going to do a lot of maybe the, uh, Facebook ads. I might do lives, but the ads part, you know what I mean? I'm more going to start with a small group and then that's going to expand and expand. And so I might not be, you know, the million dollar earner, but I'm still helping people along the way. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And it totally makes sense to me. I mean, and I feel like, um, for me, it's always like, I'm always craving that in-person connection. So any programs that I create, I'm like, no, but there has to be like meetings every week. Like I want to meet with people. Now I've had some of my clients say, well, can't you just offer us the bloomed program? Like we can watch the videos by ourselves. (laughs) Like, I guess, you know, but see, that's just not what I want. Like, I'm like, okay, because people are asking for it, obviously it's something I could do, but it's funny how I didn't even think of that. Right. I was like, well, no, you have to come in person once a week. We have to get together as a group. Like, it's just the way I like to teach. Um, But yeah, it's funny how other people, and I noticed what their profiles are like six, two, right? They're six twos. They don't want to come meet with me in person every week. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, I'm trying to like, um, yeah, generally my clients are like, it's funny because they're like five ones six twos, four sixes, one threes. You know, it's like they're they're kind of a little mixed, but I see the same numbers over and over. So um yeah, those six twos, they they sometimes like to learn on their own. So I'm like, I'm trying to think about how to do that next. But so that is interesting. And I think it's a really important part of the human design chart is your personality profile because it really does even talk about how you interact with other people, how you learn the best, right? All of that stuff. So it's kind of cool. So thanks for sharing that. I, I really pre- I remember you always telling me. I just don't feel like a projector. The other thing I was going to say about that though, if you are a projector, it's like you can sometimes even seem like you have more energy than the generator types because you're taking in the generator energy and you're expanding it, right? So you can almost even seem like you have more energy if you're around generators, (laughs) 
because you're like, woo, you know, you're like, it's kind of like you get a buzz (laughs) on their energy, you know? Yeah. And I find that also because I'm a projector, but I'm very open. So I have a lot of the areas that are open. And because of that, I, it, it almost, I could definitely relate to one of your podcasts that you recently did that you were talking about how you think in your um, faith journey, how you have been somewhat programmed to be open almost. And I feel like when I learned about me, I think I'm somewhat open in just, I've always been, I always thought my openness was my being naive. You know, maybe I just didn't know, but I think it's now that sort of explained a little bit, even where maybe my naiveness comes from in the sense of how open I am to ideas. Sometimes that means I'm open to the woo. And sometimes that means I'm open to other things, but it's just sort of interesting. So I have been able to do that. And I have also learned to forgive myself when I am tired, because I think as a projector, that was my hardest thing is to admit that, yeah, maybe there is a point that you can burn yourself out. And as much as you're taking in other people's energy, you you have to remember to rejuvenate, if if anything, to plug yourself back in. But it's been interesting. And that's hard to do, right? It's hard when we're wanting to go, go, go. It's hard to stop. I mean, I had to last year stop. And I was like, I don't want to stop. It's just the weirdest thing. We're just so programmed to think we need to continue working, 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 right? And our only value is if we continue working, 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 producing, working, producing. And I'm like, but what if sometimes in fact, for for projectors and line sixes, I would say the value of you being able to rest and hold energy and rejuvenate yourself is some of the value you bring to the world, right? And so you have right. to do and, that. and that is the thing is, you know, doing things like self-care has really been a struggle for me. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I found um, with perfectionism is that you, it's very common to have this thought, I achieve, therefore I am. So if I'm not achieving something, then I'm nothing is, is a common thought. And I had to get to a point where I was like, no, I'm achieving just replenishing myself. So this, even though the, the real thought should be, I am, period, I don't have to do anything. But if my mind's always going to go to this, you need to be achieving something. You need to be, I mean, even when I watch a movie, I'm usually like sorting papers or filing something, you know, all yeah. multitasking. Yeah. yeah. And I got to a point that it's like, no, it's okay to just enjoy a movie. It's okay to just take a nap. And that that is actually doing something good in the world. Yes, that's like being, right? And you're that line six of being. I was a human doer. I was not a human being. I was like, no, I remember that podcast you did too. And I'm like, no, I'm not a human (laughs) being. I'm a human doer. (laughs) No, I know. But can you just be? Oh, I know. It's hard for all of us because I think all of us need to just be sometimes, right? So Okay, the, the thing you just mentioned about the the faith stuff, I'm curious because you shared a story with me because I've been doing this series of faith transitions, let's call them, or faith crisis. So you said something about the way you grew up and you grew up, you were born into a certain religion. Was it Catholicism, maybe? Yes, I That's was. That's what you were born into. So like, tell us a little bit about your story about you're born into a certain religion and then your mom changed to a different religion. Like what, let's tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think that's a really interesting take on the world. So um, <laughs> my parents got divorced when I was quite young. I was only a year old. So they were, I think, completely divorced by the time I was two. 
And so this was in the early 70s. There weren't very many divorces. Um, It just wasn't as common. And it was just pretty much my mom and I until I was about 10 years old. And at that point, she met a Jewish man. Now, I was born Catholic. She was Catholic. My grandparents were Catholic, you know, pretty much Catholic. Um, And here's this Jewish man that she fell head over heels in love with. And because of his religion and, you know, where he was coming from, she decided to convert and she seriously made that transition. Well, at that time, like I said, I was about 10, almost 11 years old. I, being my naive self, did not understand all the magic of Christmas and how much commercialization there is in it. And I was told the truth and that did not go over very well with me. I was very sad about that. And, but that really, what that did is that shook me in a way because I started questioning, well, is the Bible true? Is that just another commercialization? You know, is somebody like laughing at us that we're all believing in this Bible that was probably just some stories, some people wrote, you know, out in the woods somewhere. Now, was this when you were 10? When I was 10, I was very, I was very confused. I was very, because the biggest difference in my perspective, again, this is just from me, the biggest difference in my perspective between Catholicism and Judaism is the idea of what is a Messiah. And it's just a definition. You know, one believes in that the Messiah is going to bring healing to all. And as Christians, it seems that we usually say that is in the second coming. And for um, Judas. Um, Jewish people, they usually say that's why Jesus wasn't that because when he came here the first time, he didn't bring that. So it's just as big. That's the biggest thing I can find is that definition of what is a Messiah and when does it happen? And so it just made me really like question everything. And I was very like skeptical of everything and, and very much, I think at that point in my life, I think, um, my mother was a very authoritative mother and very much no helicopter in her at all. It was very much do as I say, not as I do type thing. And so I think I started perceiving even God that way. Like God was somebody who sat up on the shelf and he was judging you. And so, and I think that also comes a little bit more with what I saw of the Jewish mindset. It's a little bit more law-based, uh, rules-based And, you know, they have rules for different things and different holidays and how you do different things. And so I really saw that black and white type thinking. And that was very much, you know, I remember I was older. I was married. I wound up marrying a a man with Catholicism. I never did convert to Judaism, even though I lived with my mom and my stepdad. And I had siblings later that were Jewish. So I was the only one. So I felt very left out. I felt um, very much like um, the Sesame Street thing, you know, all of these are the same, but one's different type thing. You know, which one is it? I always felt like the one that was different. But what was, what was Christmas like? I know that's a side oh, question. Well, that was the thing. I don't My get mom it. <laughs> told me that Christmas, like a Christmas tree was just a commercialization. So we weren't allowed any Christmas trees. And so we did go to Christmas Eve at my grandparents. They weren't very happy about her converting, but so we would still do Christmas Eve with my grandparents and we would do Hanukkah, but my mom didn't commercialize Hanukkah. Hanukkah, we had like underwear night, sock night, calendar night. I mean, it was not eight gifts of like the best and the, the brightest. It was like a very practical, almost like your stocking stuffers for seven of the nights and then one gift. 
so, but what really was hard was Christmas day because Christmas Eve, I had someplace to go, but Christmas day, when I was a teenager, like luckily friends or boyfriends, parents would like adopt me. So I'd have somewhere to go on Christmas day because Jewish people on Christmas day, at least again, this is my perspective. Um, my parents' friends either would go to the movies or just get together and have a dinner together, which was so different. You yeah. know, there wasn't this excitement of opening the, the, the gifts under the tree and, and, you know, wearing your stockings and pajamas yeah. and, and stockings, <laughs> like all that commercial stuff, but it's like that family bonding fun, you know, there was no like sitting around and watching the Christmas movies. So I became oh, very no. much the Hallmark girl that just loved the Christmas movies and could watch them 24 um, seven, even before it became a popular thing to do. But yeah, so Christmas was a very difficult for me because I didn't understand and I didn't understand at the time why God did this. I, I really was mad at God. Like, why would you do this? Why would you have me believe in something that's not true? And then why would you take it away? So I was very like resentful. So the reason it's not true is because we're not supposed to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Is that why it wasn't true? No, no. I meant the the, the true of the Santa and the whole the commercialization. Oh, part of the it. commercial. I was like thinking, all the wait. fun stuff. Yes. So I was like, why did you bring this into my life just to take it away? So I was resentful that way. Okay. And then I was, and I was very confused though, because I know my mom, she really wanted all of us to be Jewish and she really wanted all of us to marry Jewish. And none of us did marry Jewish. We all married, um, the Jew, my Jewish sisters married Christian and I married Christian. So, and, but I will say that it was really good though, for my children, because they were able to see other religions at a young age. So for them, I saw the benefits because they got the Christmas at home the way I wanted to have it. And then they also got to see what grandma and grandpa did. And they got to understand things better because um, like Passover, which is right around the time of, of Easter, they got to understand like what it was like leading up to Easter and going through that. And um, it was very interesting, but it was not what I would say what I would want for a child. I mean, for my children, it worked out well, but for myself, I did not like it. It, it was sort of like when I became a, uh, when you told me I was a projector, I was like kicking and screaming like, no. Yeah. So maybe this is just a pattern in your life that no matter what you're told, you're like, no, is, there, is that on my chart somewhere? Maybe there's a gate somewhere that says Gigi likes to kick and scream. I, <laughs> she's just resistant to everything. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm just, I'm just curious, like, is there a certain, you know, I, I, I have studied some about Judaism as I've been studying a bunch of different types of religions. Was there a certain brand? Like, I know there's Orthodox Jews and then there's like reformed. My parents Jews. were conservative. So conservative would be, but not Orthodox is what you're saying. Not Orthodox. So they still, we didn't have to worry about mixing like dairy and meat. We still ate, you know, like pizza was still, now we wouldn't have sausage, cheese and sausage pizza. But, you know, my mom yeah. still liked her. Well, but there's a caveat there. We weren't supposed to eat cheese and sausage pizza, but my mom still liked, you know, um, her sausage. So that was like the one food that got to keep carried over. But it was really interesting because at first I was really mad at my stepdad for being Jewish and like he brought all this into it. But I'm telling you, sometimes a convert is definitely a lot more intense than the person that's grown up in the religion. And so it was really my mom 
Yeah. And my mom was the one that was, you know, she was really into it. But I now I look at it and it's been really, um, like I said, we've learned a lot. I think it the nice thing about what I really do appreciate of the Jewish religion, which I didn't find as much in the in, in the Catholic Church, is the sense of community. They do really have a sense of community. They really are there for each other. And that's a something I, mm-hmm. I um, think is a, a great thing to have. And and I will say, as a whole, the the Jewish people that I know, they really value education and uh, philanthropy. And those are things that I also value. So I felt very much at home there. That's awesome. I mean, it just gave you a wider perspective of the world. Yes. It, when I stopped kicking and screaming, I saw all the benefits. But going into it, believe me, I was not a happy camper. But, you know, it was right before the time you're getting your hormones, you know, you get period and all those things that happen when you're 10, 11, 12, 13. So it was a lot of change right at once. But once I got over it, oh my gosh, now I there's times I definitely would keep my dad. I might tra- trade my mom in, but definitely would keep my dad. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that because I just think just because of the season of podcast episodes I'm doing right now, it feels like that little story kind of fits in just to help people see. And because I, I really do think what's interesting is when you allow yourself a wider perspective of different religious beliefs, it just brings, I mean, more opportunity for thinking, oh, like I don't need to believe this particular way right? There's so many other ways you could believe. Isn't that amazing, right? It gives more choice, I guess, you know? (laughs) Yes. And I think it also opens up your perspective of um, just even like there's comments that people say that are just very derogatory and you don't even realize it, you know, unless you're closer to it or there's things that people do that you don't realize it. Like, for example, it's so interesting how schools are always saying, you know, church and state, it's different, it's different, you know, and they try to keep them separate. And yet when it comes to Christmas, the songs are very much, um, my nephew, who's five years old, was learning a song, um, something about Jesus on a mountain. It's a Christmas song. And it's like, wait, we can do non-secular, you know, Christmas songs, you know, like jingle bells or something, but, you know, come hear it on a mountain or something like that was just like, that was just a little bit over the, it's like, you'd have this little Jewish boy singing in the back of the car, you know, about Jesus. And and my sister's just sitting there, just shaking her head and just going public schools. (laughs) Right. No, it's definitely bent towards Christianity, right? Right. And you don't realize how much. And so that has opened up my mind when I'm thinking about things or I'm planning things, you know, even my calendar now, I'm much more open to what are some of the other holidays going on when I'm planning like an event or something. So I will say that that was a great aspect of it, that it really opened my mind to other people's ideas. And I'm glad for that. You know, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. And even so even secular people, I guess some of these terms are new to me. Like, I'm like, wait, what does that mean? Like I have been, I was so sheltered, right. From a lot of things. (laughs) And now I'm trying to learn the words of all these things, but I'm like, even that, you know, people who are more secular and don't really believe in any specific religion practice. I mean, it's helpful to know about, like, if you want to be accepting and inclusive, it's really kind of nice to know about these things. Exactly. So 
I mean, I think I feel like my family and my just myself, I have been more inclusive at a very young age of at least this type of thing of different religions of being open to different ideas. So as much as I didn't like what I felt I lost, maybe in a way, I did see that I gained so much more. Well, and and you can always look from an us perspective as an adult, right back to like, I mean, I've been trying to do that for myself for the years and years of being, I'm like, okay, what did it teach me? What was good about it? Like, let's take the lessons and remind ourselves what was good about it. You know, instead of focusing on all the things that I thought were wrong, there was also some good things. So it's like a balance. Sometimes so, That kind of stuff is what keeps you safe and you don't even realize yeah. it, you know, sometimes having yeah. that community and, and yeah. as much as you might feel it's like what you needed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yes, I, I have to say I grew up in a very, very good community of people and they mean the best, right? They hope for the best. So the other thing I wanted to talk about um, before we have to end this episode is you you wrote a book. Now, is your book based anything on the loss of your child or is it mostly about like, was there any perfectionism or no people pleasing? That's what your book is. About, it's right? perfectionism. It's not just the people pleasing, but it's the whole idea of perfectionism. So my book is basically, um, it's three parts to it. The first part of it is my story, which does deal with also the loss of my daughter. The second part of it is, um, since I am such a love education, I have a part that's actually um, teaches about what is perfectionism and what are the, some of the common things um, talking a lot of, about a lot of things that maybe uh, Brene Brown talks about, if you're familiar with her. And then the third part about it talks about, um, I did what's called the Camino de Santiago, and it's a pilgrimage that um, very much, I would say more Catholic people know about it, but it's becoming more and more popular. And in this, um, I did what was called the Portuguese way. It was the um, coastal way. And so I walked 172 miles in 10 days, which is about seven, averaging about 17 miles a day, which that's a lot. (laughs) In in one perspective, it's not that much. In another perspective, it's a lot because it was day after day and it was on cobblestones. It was not on paved streets. It was like, you know, on these really rural routes and everything. But during that, I really, um, in the book, I really compare, there were five things that every, um, what you would call pilgrim would need to survive. And that was their backpack, their bandages, the things that keep them, their feet and stuff safe, their walking stick, the yellow arrows that help guide them as they're going. And oh my goodness, I just forgot the last one. Backpack and the shoes. So you have these five things. You need shoes. And so, and so what I did is I compared those and symbolically showed that in life, we need some of those basic five things to get through life. Um, And talking about, for example, like the backpack, the backpack for us is yes, a backpack, but how many of us stuff in our backpack, things we wouldn't need. And I even jokingly talk about when I went on the this walk, the things I had in my backpack, and it was just a day pack that by the end of the, by probably the third or fourth day, I had like half the stuff in there. Cause I'm like, this is crazy because it just, all it does is bounce on your back. But how many of us are like putting in um, all this would have, could have, and should have, or what ifs, or I'll be worthy when, and that's filling up our backpack with all of this weight that we're walking around with this regret and um, turmoil. And so I talk about packing things like 
um, worthiness and the idea of self-care and self-forgiveness and, you know, putting things into our backpack that are going to serve us. So that's what I do throughout the, the third part. Back to my story. Um, my story is not only about my daughter, but it's also about myself. And I did once attempt my own life. And it talks about my attempt and um, how I felt and where my thoughts were at the time and how perfectionism really, I felt like I was not doing things right. And I actually believed that the world would be better off, especially my family without me, because I felt like such a failure and how my perfectionism, which started out the same thing that motivated me as maybe a child to do well in school and stuff was almost like the same thing that was now destroying me because I had gotten so, um, programmed in these thoughts and I wasn't questioning my thoughts and if they were serving me. So it's, it's a story of hopefully motivation. It's a story about a little bit of education and it's a way of introducing some new ideas and mindset. Okay. Well, the sun is right in my eyes and I'm trying to like, make sure if I use this video, it's not going to be very good, but thank you so much for sharing that Gigi. Cause I think that that could be so helpful, especially for people who've even lost people to suicide. It might help to show them someone's mindset, right? Like what it was like, because it's so hard for us parents who've lost children to understand what could they have been thinking? Or, you know, if they, if we didn't have any signs, which, you know, we didn't, and I know there's probably a lot of other parents that didn't have signs. Now some did, but those of us who didn't, it's like, we don't get it. (laughs) What was going on? Like, how come we didn't see any signs? Right. So maybe that could be helpful is into someone's mindset about why. And this is such a can be such a hard topic to talk about sometimes. Right. But but thank you for writing it. Yeah. Yes. And, and and I do put some of the studies in there and and a little bit of information about suicide and, and I do also put the warning. So it is, it does have it in there because my daughter, um, I was fortunate. I survived. My daughter was not so fortunate when she attempted, she did not survive. And so, I mean, and I do talk about that in there, but like I said, I think for me, um, some of these things like the Camino and what I learned on the Camino and what I've learned on, in life coaching and stuff is how I'm able to survive all that. Because believe me, um, I don't still to this day understand, you know, why God chose me to, you know, to survive and her not. But I do know that I do get up with this mindset that I will do the best I can to serve. And I will say that when I first start walking the Camino, it was really for redemption is what it started out. It wasn't to write a book. It wasn't to really learn anything. I really felt like I, I have had to really work hard with this idea, which was totally new to me. And that is that bad things can happen to good people. And I think that's like been my, one of my most motivating mantras sometimes when I don't understand things is that bad things can happen to good people. Because I really felt like when I started walking the Camino um, back in 2019, I still was in a space that I felt, oh my gosh, I must've been like this awful mother because my daughter died, you know? And, and I, I had a lot of that would have, could have, and should have, and really just walking the Camino and then doing the life coach training and really just digging into this perfectionism even more really helped me through that. 
Mm. Yeah. And I remember what my experience about that was like, I felt not only like, was I a bad mother, but was I also a bad Christian? Like somehow God was punishing me. I didn't do something correctly. Like it was this added layer on top and it, that took a oh, long definitely. And, and, and it's back to that whole idea that I, I, I was explaining before that I had, I thought God sat on a shelf and he judged you. And it, I was going to tell you the funny story. I didn't get a chance to tell you. So I remember one time I went to a Bible study course. Now this was not a, a Catholic. Um, this was just a Christian book or Christian and everyone had their Bibles out and we were doing this Bible study. Now in the Catholic religion, we usually don't have a Bible. We have, they give us the pamphlets and we do the readings every week, but you really don't have your own Bible that you bring to it a course per se. So they started highlighting in the Bible. And I was like, you can write in a Bible. I mean, I I had such rigid rules in my mind and nobody ever said you couldn't, but I just thought, no, you never write in a Bible, you know, unless did you like, were you allowed to have your, have your own Bible at home? Yes, we had a Bible, but I think in the Catholic, in the Catholics, usually there's like a family Bible and the only writing in the Bible is maybe on the first pages of like maybe the family history, you know, like this Bible was passed from this person to that person, but it was never this highlight and write notes and, and perspective and and what insight you got. I mean, you never opened your Bible like that. And so when they did it, I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to like lightning was going to strike right then and we were going to hell. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? And then you were like, oh, we survived. Okay, <laughs> <Exactly>. now what? <laughs> it's so funny that you, the ideas that you get, I mean, and it's funny because we've even talked about it as Catholics. There's some people that when they get the wafer, which is um, when you're getting what's called communion, it's like this wafer. And some people will talk about like, how they never chew it. And I never chewed it. And I saw somebody else chew. And I'm like, are you allowed to do that? And I'm like, <laughs> are you supposed to? Yeah. I don't know why I thought I wasn't supposed to, but I would like seriously, like almost like peanut butter. Um, you know how it gets stuck to the roof of your mouth. That's I like it. Like I let it dissolve, but sometimes it would be like peanut butter and be stuck to the roof of my mouth. And I'm like trying with my tongue. Cause I don't want to touch it. Cause you're not supposed to touch it. You know? So I'm trying to like get it off the roof of my mouth never thinking I could chew it or anything like that. It had to dissolve. Right. There are so many unwritten rules that I thought were rules, which weren't, they were just things that I must've just like assimilated. Like I saw this. So I thought that. But that is, I think in a religion, when you grow up with it and you're just around it, I don't think you're even told, like nobody had to tell you certain things. It's just what you've observed right? And it's also people talking and you hear these things all through your life. Uh, even from the time you're a baby, you're, you're like hearing these things and you take them in and then you decide, well, that must be the rule. Like nobody actually said it out loud to you. <laughs> and nobody I, said it. And I, I think that that so was one of, of the that. hardest things for my um, ex-husband is when I, w- I did go through this questioning time where I was like, you know, is Catholicism the right religion for me? And I wasn't going away from Christianity, you know, to like Judaism or something, but I was just not sure if Catholicism was what I wanted to be. And I remember questioning it and he was so appalled. He's like, you, you were born you this, question. you don't question it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's sort of like, you know, right. I'm Italian. I, I don't question if I'm Italian. It's in my genes. You know, that's what it says. That's what you do. And I remember, you know, which I have found, though, there is a a term for questioning, at least in the 
Catholic church, I believe it's a common term and it's called apologetics. And that's where you, mm, yeah. you know, you learn yeah. and, and in actually in the questioning is where I actually became even a more informed Catholic, you know, versus what some people sometimes will call the cafeteria Catholics, where we just picked, I'd like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But now I understood why we were doing things. Whereas before, when I wasn't questioning, I was maybe doing it, but I was doing it like half-heartedly because I'm like, why do we stand up? Why do we sit down? Why do we kneel? I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, that's why we're doing it. Oh, you yeah. know, whereas, you know, there's some people like my ex-husband, he does it because that's what he was told. That's what you do. And he doesn't need to know the why. I curious. <laughs> Very curious. Well, and some people like me just struggled to just follow all the rules and there was no, you're not supposed to ask why, so you don't, but then you just constantly just have this cognitive dissonance in your head. Like, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. These things happen in your life that there's no, there's, there's nothing that they can explain to you from the church's perspective about why that happens or what that's about, or, you know, and so it just causes so much cognitive dissonance and discomfort and just following rules. And then there's no meaning to it, right? For me, there was no meaning to those rules. (laughs) You know, once I just decide I'm going away from the rules, I don't know. I don't believe in that stuff anymore because nobody can really tell me why there's, and this is when I've started studying the Bible now, right? Like, the actual real re like who wrote the Bible? Why did they write the Bible? <laughs> like, I'm curious. Nobody ever told me this stuff. Right. Um, and we weren't encouraged to read the Bible. That was not encouraged. Yeah. I don't think in Catholicism know? we were either, but yeah. I do feel that that has changed. And there are some, um, I would say what you could possibly call famous Catholic people now. And I'm not talking about like the popes or whatever, but I'm talking about people that have really gone out there and marketed Catholicism and have really wrote, they've written books about it and things like that. There's a gentleman like Scott Hahn and stuff where he's giving you the reasons of why you're doing it so that you're just more informed. And then you choose, you know, because I know a lot of people will come sometimes to Catholics and they'll question, you know, why do you pray to saints or why do you do this? And I had no idea. And so when people would ask me, i Again, being that open-minded, at first I believed, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Then I started questioning it when people were questioning me because I didn't know. And then once I started finding out, I was like, oh, so I, and then this whole idea that I was more when I became a life coach, it opened my mind of, you can question anything. Like you don't have to believe it. (laughs) You know, that was, that was totally new. Nobody ever told me that one. Isn't it amazing? Like you can choose what you believe, but that's not what I was taught when I was no. growing up. <laughs> no, my, my, my parents definitely didn't teach me that. I don't feel the church ever taught me that. Oh no. Well, the church, well, at least the church I grew up in would never teach that. The, the teaching is, this is what you believe. This is what we exactly. all, believe. you know, there's not like a choice about it. <laughs> but it, so. it was so funny when I, I even heard that, that I could like choose it and, and stuff. Um, so I think that the, it is fascinating. It's, it's, it's been a journey and I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to figure out I can't say right now in my life, I'm any one religion. I'd say I'm Christian and I follow more the Christian beliefs, but I haven't found a church recently that I would call home. I hope to find one where I feel like I fit in and I believe their morals and their, their rules. And I, I, 
um, can stand by them. You know, I don't want that cognitive dissonance, dissonance anymore because I have had that from time to time and that's not funny either. Mm-mm, no. So you are, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that you're similar in a place that I am, although I'm not really actively searching for a church. I'm just questioning right now, everything. Not with COVID. COVID has made it a little bit more harder to actively search for churches. But once I think things open up again, yes, I would like to find a place. I would like to find You want community, place. right? You'd like, yes. that's what I would like too. But it's interesting because I'm like, yeah, but I'm just so worried about getting caught up in like some belief system again that I don't really fit it, right? Like something that's like, this is the only way. Like, I'm just, I don't want to go there, right? Well, so, you know, and I've, and I've also found, this is just a funny thing, but like, and again, it's just the way I feel sometimes. I feel like sometimes when people find out that I'm Catholic, and I don't know if you've ever heard this or, or because you're not Catholic, maybe not experienced, but it's almost like sometimes people want to convert you to whatever their religion is. It's almost mm. like they get an extra point because that's one less Catholic in the world. I know that that <laughs> really? sounds not I've very nice at all, <laughs> right? But I do feel that sometimes like, it's like, they almost like, oh my gosh, we got another one, you know? And so that like, sometimes makes me a little bit like nervous, like, hmm. and I know those are all just thoughts, but it's sometimes that's the way it feels you know, that they get an extra point if they can, can convert a Catholic, you know? Oh, I just love it. So Gigi, where can people find out more about you or your book? You know, what would sure. you like? To- um, the best way is my book is called Bloom Beyond Perfection, and they can go to bloombeyondperfection.com. And that has a link to my book. And then from there, there's also links to um, coaching that I do and um, different projects that I'm working on. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes too. So Definitely. That- but just bloom, bloom beyond perfection.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, GD. It was such a fun conversation. Oh, thank you. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please go subscribe so that you get notified of all the future goodies that are coming along. While you're there, please leave me a review and let me know what you think. So excited to share this with you and can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye.